Thank you, ladies. Aren't you glad you can come to the Lord just as you are? And I'm glad we don't have to clean ourselves up to come to Christ. He's already perfect. We come to Him, and He does the rest. What a blessing. I'm glad churches aren't perfect either. You don't have to be perfect to come to church. Some people look at church like a trophy case. We come and we show off how great we are. But that's not the way God sees the church. He sees the church like a hospital. We come because we have a need, and uh, the church is here to meet those needs. And I'm glad you're here today, and uh, glad that you're participating in the service through the music and all that's taking place already. It's just a joy to be back here at Bible Baptist Church, and we're off to a great start. Take your Bible. Let's go to the book of Isaiah and chapter 40, if you will. Isaiah chapter 40. Read a few verses, starting with verse 6 down to verse 9, and then keep your Bible handy. We'll be looking at a number of things in this chapter today in the message. Isaiah 40, and starting with verse 6, if you will. The voice said, cry. And he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass, the grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. O Zion, that bringest good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, that bringest good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, behold your God. When I was 10 years old, I was riding in the back seat of our automobile. My mom and dad were in the front. My sister was in the back with me. We were going down Main Street in Watertown, Wisconsin, and we were stopped at a stop and go light at 4th Street. The light was red. I leaned forward from that back seat and peered over the front seat of the car to the car that was right in front of us. There was a bumper sticker on the back of that automobile. It's kind of a green, light green, kind of an ugly bumper sticker with four words. I'm sorry, three words written in black on this green bumper sticker. The three words were very simple. I've never forgotten them. God is dead. God is dead. I remember looking at that thinking he is. God is dead. For the next several years of my life, I don't know that there was a day where I didn't see that bumper sticker on a car. It was everywhere. God is dead. I learned later that that philosophy came from a man named Friedrich Nietzsche. Nietzsche was a man who believed that God had once existed, but had died. And that all absolutes, all values, all truth died with God. Nietzsche was the man that Adolf Hitler often read and received counsel from as he led the Nazi regime. It was his favorite author. God is dead. 
That philosophy permeated much of society back in the 60s. Today we see the result of that thinking. That God and all absolutes, all truth, all authority is gone. Man does what is right in his own eyes. In the minds of many today, there is no God. Atheism is on the rise. 23% of Americans today claim to be atheists. Church attendance, religious disciplines are in decline. Oh, God is still a popular curse word, but he's been removed from the public forum. He's been taken out of the marketplace and out of the schools and even out of many of our churches. But how alive is God in your life? We can look at culture and we can see society and we can say, yeah, they, they're neglecting God and they're taking him away from much of our society, but how alive is God in your life? Did you talk to him this week? Did you let him talk to you? Did you speak about him to anyone else? How alive is God in our life? Often we live as though he's dead. We live as though God is asleep. We live as though God is in some kind of a coma, unable to really do anything for us or in us. If I were to give you a, a piece of paper and a writing instrument this morning, and I would ask you to write down a definition of God, how would you define him? What would you write? How would you define God? Now, when we get that finished, we have to ask ourselves a question. Does God believe what I just wrote? Does God agree with my definition? Because if you were to go out on the streets of Pembroke Pines or Miami or any city in America today and you were to simply ask people on the street, who is God? You'd get a variety of answers. But does God agree with our definition of God? I think we have lost sight of God. We have lost comprehension of God because we've gotten away from the Word of God. God is not who culture paints Him to be. God is not who the news said He is. God is not somebody we meet on television or in a magazine. God is seen in His Word. He reveals Himself through His Word. And when you get away from the Bible, you lose proper concept of God. The wise men are ashamed. They are dismayed and taken. Lo, they've rejected the word of the Lord and what wisdom is in them. God says if we don't get answers to spiritual questions from the Bible, we don't have the right answer. We don't have the right perspective. God is seen in his word. And Isaiah chapter 40 is a wonderful display. It's a wonderful definition of who God is. So let's investigate this chapter this morning and let's see three powerful attributes, characteristics, if you please, components of who God is. He defines himself here. 
First of all, we learn that God is above all. He's above all. Read with me for a little bit in verse number 12. Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and meted out heaven with a span, and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who hath directed the spirit of the Lord, or being his counselor, hath taught him? With whom took he counsel, and who instructed him, and taught him in the path of judgment, and taught him knowledge, and showed to him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket, and are counted as the small dust of the balance. And behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing. Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor the beast thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing. They are counted to him less than nothing in vanity. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare unto him? The workman melteth the graven image and spreadeth it over with gold and casteth silver chains. He that is so impoverished that he hath no oblation chooseth a tree that will not rot. He seeketh in him a cunning workman to prepare a graven image that shall not be moved. Have ye not known? Have ye not heard? Hath it not been told you from the beginning? Have ye not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in, that bringeth the princes to nothing. He maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. Yea, they shall not be planted. Yea, they shall not be sown. Yea, their stock shall not take root in the earth, and he shall also blow upon them, and they shall wither, and the whirlwind shall take them away as stubble. To whom then will you liken me? Or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high, and behold, who hath created these things, that bringeth out their hosts by number? He calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might, for that he is strong in power, not one faileth. You see, when we go to write a definition of God, we would be tempted to compare him to something we see here. We would say, well, he's like. But do you understand that everything we could compare him to be like he made, he created by the word of his mouth? He said, let there be light, and there was light. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In six days, the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. Job said, I know it is so of a truth, but how can a man be just with God? If he contend with him, he cannot answer him one in a thousand. Who hath hardened himself against him and hath prospered? which removeth the mountains and they know not, which overturneth them in his anger, which shaketh the earth out of her place and the pillars thereof tremble, which calleth Arcturus and Orion and Pallades and the chambers of the south, which doeth great things past finding out, yea, and wonders without number. In chapter 12 of Job, in verse 7, Job said, Ask now the beasts and they'll tell thee. Speak to the earth, it shall teach thee. The fishes of the sea shall declare unto thee, yea, who knoweth not that in all these the hand of the Lord hath wrought this in whose hand is the soul of every living thing and the breath of all mankind hannah in her prayer in first samuel chapter 2 in verse 2 she prays there is none holy as the lord 
for there's none beside thee. Neither is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so exceeding proudly. Let not arrogancy go out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him are actions weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken. They that stumbled are girded with strength. They that were full have hired out themselves for bread, and they that were hungry ceased. For the barren hath borne seven, and she that hath many children is waxed feeble. For the Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up again. The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He bringeth low and lifteth up. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth up the beggar out of the dunghill to set them among princes that they may inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. He has set the worlds upon them. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Out of heaven shall he thunder upon them until they be destroyed. For by strength shall no man prevail. God is above all. He made all. We're not as big as we think we are. When you think you're big, God gets small. But when you realize how small you are, God gets pretty big. Our solar system that we live in today is 60 billion miles across. The galaxy that we live in is called the Milky Way. It is shaped like a giant bowl. If you were able to step back in the universe and look at the Milky Way galaxy from a distance, it looks like a giant dish or a giant bowl. If you could get on one end of this galaxy called the Milky Way, and if you could travel at the speed of light, which is 186,282 miles per second, that's moving. If you could travel at the speed of light, 186,282 miles per second, it would take you 100,000 years to cross the galaxy called the Milky Way. And they estimate now there are 100 billion galaxies in the universe like the Milky Way. 40 sextillion solar systems. Our Earth is 25,000 miles in circumference. It's 25,000 miles around this planet, the Earth. The Sun is 1,300,000 times bigger than the Earth. The Sun is the closest star to our Earth. The next nearest star after the Sun, 26 trillion miles away. The supernova discovered recently has 10 septillion. Now we're getting into the big numbers. If you're taking notes, start way over on the left side of the page because 10 septillion is a 10 with 24 zeros after it. The supernova has 10 septillion times more energy in it than the hydrogen bomb. You see why the psalmist stepped out one night and he said, The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day utter speech. Night unto night showeth knowledge. There's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their lines go out to the ends of the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. God is above all. Did you see what he said about the nations here in chapter 40? Look at verse 15 again. He said, Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket. 
and are counted as the small dust of the balance. In Bible days, when, when they would measure something, they would use a balance scale. We don't, we don't think of a measuring device in that realm other than it is still the symbol of our judicial system. If you've ever seen our judicial buildings, they have the, the, the judge with the balance scale. It's that post with the arm across and the chains coming down, the little plates, symbolizes justice. Well, in the Bible, they measured things in those. So if you went into a, a market, if you went into a store and you said, I would like a pound of flour, okay, so the, 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 the merchant, he would, he would uh, have this balance scale there on the counter and he would reach under and he would take out a one pound weight and a 16 ounces and he'd place it on one side of that scale. Then, of course, the scale would tip way down to that one pound, but then he would pour the flour into the other side and when it was equal you know you had a pound of flour right that's how they measured things now there were some crooked merchants there were those that if they didn't like you you came in so i like a pound of flour they didn't like you or they wanted to cheat you so they would reach under the counter and they'd pull out a weight that said it was one pound but it was really only 15 ounces they'd put it on that scale They'd pour the flour in. You thought you were buying a pound of flour, but you were only getting 15 ounces. That's why Proverbs says divers, various weights are an abomination unto the Lord. See, God condemned that kind of practice. We're supposed to be honest. We're supposed to tell the truth to one another. We're not supposed to be crooked. We're not supposed to cheat people. Divers' weights are an abomination unto the Lord. So there were these merchants who were crooked, and everybody knew it. So if a merchant was honest, you know what he did when you came in the store? If he was an honest merchant, and you said, I'd like a pound of flour, before he did anything, he would take out a cloth, and he would wipe the dust off the balance. Now, dust doesn't weigh anything. But it was symbolic. He was saying to you, by doing that, I'm going to give you a fair measurement here. I'm even going to remove the dust so you don't get cheated. And God uses that illustration here to describe the nations. They're as the dust of the balance. Look at what he says in verse 17. All nations before him are as nothing. They are counted him less than nothing and vanity. God says, take all the nations, all of them, the United States, Russia, China, Japan, Korea, uh, Indonesia, uh, take, take uh, South Africa, Brazil, take all the nations, all of their powers, all of their military muscle, all of their resources, all of their bank accounts, to put them all over here on this side of the balance scale. Put them all over here on this side. Everything they have, put them here. And he said, you put me over on the other side of the scale. And he said, compared to me, they're below zero. Less than nothing. Don't get too worried about the government, folks. God's above all, less than nothing. 
So where does that put us? I mean, I'm pretty important, right? No, God says in verse 22, the, the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers. God is above all. Great is the Lord, greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness, beautiful for situation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion in the sides of the north, the city of that great king. He's the true God. He's the living God. He's an everlasting king. God is above all. But no, secondly, God is aware of all. It's normal for us to think that a God this powerful, this magnificent, this awesome, he doesn't care about me. I mean, a God where all the nations next to him are less than nothing, and I'm just a grasshopper. God doesn't care about my problems. God doesn't care about my struggles at work. God doesn't care about my relationships that have gone south. God doesn't care about my aches and pains physically. God doesn't care about my prayer requests. God doesn't care what my checkbook looks like. God doesn't care about me. He's got bigger fish to fry than me. He doesn't care about me. But you know what? We're wrong. Because look at verse 27. He says, why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God? Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There's no searching of his understanding. God is aware of all. He knows you. He knows what you're going through. He knows the hurt. He knows the burden. He knows what we're trying to cover up. He knows what we're trying to conceal, to keep secret. He's aware of all. When you think about creation, which I love to do, I love to hear about these magnificent things in creation that just kind of blow your mind away. The, the bigness, the expanse of God's creation, it just, it's thrilling to me to realize how big God is. But when you look at creation, you also have to realize the detail of that creation, the specifics, the minute specifics of that creation. For example, matter is made up of atoms. Atoms are what make up matter. The atom is so small that I'm told you can't even see it under a microscope. All you're seeing is the reflection of the atom. In fact, if you take, scientists tell us, 100,000 atoms and you line them up in a single file line touching each other, 100,000 of them, the distance of 100,000 atoms in a single file line will cross the width of a human hair. Yet inside each one of those tiny little atoms is at least a proton, a neutron, and an electron. Guess who put them there? God. Our earth is tilted on its axes. Whenever you see the globe, it's always tilted, isn't it? You go to the school or the library and they've got that globe there on the desk and it's, it's tilted on its axes. 
And you can go up to it and give it a spin and watch the nations go around. It's kind of fun. And it remains at that, at that tilt. Science tells us that our earth is tilted at an exact degree of angle in space. They tell us that if our earth was tilted just one degree, one direction, we'd all freeze to death. If it was tilted one degree the other direction, we'd all burn up. So our earth is tilted at this exact degree of angle in space so that life can inhabit the planet. Now that, that globe over there in the school office or in the library, it's on a stand. There's a stand holding it there at that tilt. But Job 26.7 says, He stretcheth out the north over the empty place and hangeth the earth upon nothing. So our earth today that we're living on right now is tilted at this exact degree of angle, but it's hanging on nothing. And while you think about that, it's tilted, it's hanging on nothing, but it's also spinning once every 24 hours. Exactly once every 24 hours. And as you think about the fact it's tilted on its axis, hanging on nothing, spinning every 24 hours, it's also revolving around the sun. Detail. The moon, our Earth's moon, is situated in exact proximity to this Earth. In fact, I'm told that if the moon was just 100 miles further out into space from our Earth, we would have no tides. And without the rising and fall of the tides, we'd have no seasons, no spring, no summer, no fall, no winter. If the moon was situated 100 miles closer to the earth, we'd have no land. We'd be covered with water. Details. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them doth not fall to the ground without your heavenly father. But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do you realize something? Not one bird in this entire world today will die that God will not attend the funeral. He'll be at every one. Not one bird ever falls without God. Details. Even the very hairs of your head, your eyelash hairs, your eyebrow hairs, Your whisker hairs, the hairs on top of your head, the hair inside my ears, it's all numbered. God has a number on every one of them. What an amazing God. Details. You have 203 bones in your body. You have 600 muscles. Go out and rake some pine cone needles, You'll, you'll find a few of them. You have 970 miles of blood vessels running through your body, taking nutrients, oxygen, water to the various tissues so that you can be healthy. We have 600 million air cells taking air into our lungs as we breathe. We have over 4,000 taste buds on our tongue so that we can discern between sweet and sour and bitter. We have 10,000 hairs inside each one of our ears. This should encourage some of you. (laughs) Some of you getting a little bald there, you know, like me. 
I like what one fellow said, this is not a bald spot, it's a solar panel. <laughs> I like that. But you know, you, you, you can be encouraged today. We've got 10,000 hairs inside each one of our ears, and I'm told that if one, if just one of those little hairs, little strings, becomes damaged, your hearing's impaired. Our heart beats 2,400 times every hour. We take in 4,200 gallons of air every day. Our heart beats 2,400 times an hour and pumps 12 tons of blood through our body every day. And you don't have to get up in the morning and say, oh, I gotta breathe, I gotta breathe 2,400 times this hour. You don't worry about it until something goes wrong with it because God has cared for all the details. And you're going to say, well, God doesn't care about my job or God doesn't care about my checkbook or God doesn't care that I'm struggling in a relationship or God doesn't know about my sin. Listen, he's aware of all. Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him? Do not I fill the heavens and the earth? God is aware of everything. Neither is there any creature that's not manifested in his sight, but all things are open and naked under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. He's above all. He's aware of all. But I love these last three verses. Verses 29 to 31, look at them because he's able to do all. In verse 29, he giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. God is able to do all. Ah, Lord God, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and by thy stretched out arm, and there's nothing too hard for thee. Do you believe that? Nothing too hard for thee. You know, Abraham had trouble believing that. God came to Abraham when he was 99 years old. He said, Abraham, you're going to have a son. Abraham's 99. Sarah's 90. God says, you're going to have a son. <laughs> they laughed. They said, God, I'm sorry. You missed your chance. We're old. Genesis 18, we're stricken in years. We're past the age of bearing children. Biologically, it was impossible. But verse 14, God looked at Abraham and he said, is anything too hard for the Lord? And I love Genesis 21, verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah, as he had said. And the Lord did unto Sarah, as he had spoken. And Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son at the set time of which God had spoken to him. See, with men it was impossible. Not with God. With God all things are possible. When God says that, he puts an exclamation point there. Abraham laughed at God at 99. But keep reading. God gave him a son. But keep reading. In Genesis 24, Sarah dies. 
At this point, Isaac, we read, is 40 years old. So Abraham looks at his son. There's a hole in his heart. His mom's gone. And Abraham says to his servant, Isaac needs a wife. He needs a woman in his life. And so he sends the servant to find a wife for Isaac. Genesis 24 is a beautiful love story. It's a long story, 67 verses. And the servant goes and he finds Rebecca. And he brings her back. And it's love at first sight. It's a beautiful story. And the last verse, verse 67, says that when Rebecca and Isaac consummate that marriage, the Bible says that Isaac is comforted over the death of his mom, Sarah. The hole is filled with this wife. It's a beautiful story. Then we go to Genesis 25. Now, in Genesis 24, we learn that Isaac was 40 when his mom died. So that would mean Abraham is now 139, if my math is still right. He's 99 when, he, when Isaac's born, 40 years old now, so it'd make Abraham 139. We read Genesis 25, Abraham gets remarried. Verse 1, to Keturah. And verse 2, he has six more kids. You talk about exclamation point. I mean, at 99, it says, God, Abraham says, God, it's too late. I'm too old. I can't have kids. It's biologically impossible. God says, you just watch. You know, sometimes we think, God, this is too tough. This is beyond you. I'm in such a bad straight. I'm in such a bad way, God. There's nothing you can do. Listen, don't you dare us underestimate God. Nothing's above uh, uh, God. God is able to do everything in our life. Listen, he's able to save you. People say, well, I, I, I can't be saved. It's too late. I've turned God down. I've, I've done a lot of bad things. I just, God, I'm not worthy. God would never want me. Listen, he's able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. See, he ever liveth to make intercession for you. Listen, you may have a mom that's praying for you to be saved. You may have a dad that's praying, a grandpa or grandma that's praying. But I got news for you. God's praying for you to be saved. He loves you. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You can be saved today. All you have to do is come to him in simple faith. Recognize that you're a sinner. and Believe that on that cross when he died, he died for you. By trusting him as your Savior, the Bible says, as many as receive him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. You can be saved. Christian, there's not a sin that you can't conquer. Well, I just, I got a bad habit. I just, I just have been trapped in it for a long time, and I've gotten counsel, and I've gone forward, and I, I've done everything, but I, I guess it's just the way I am. Wait a minute. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Friend, I don't know what your vice is. I don't know what your stumbling block is. I don't know what your habit of sin is, but it's conquerable through Christ. 
He can give you victory if you want that victory. He's able to do all. Young person, you may think, well, I, I, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. I, I, I know I'm not going to be a preacher or anything like that. I'm not, I mean, I'm not going to do something like that. I could, never, I could never be in ministry. I could never be a preacher. I could never be a missionary or something like that. Listen, faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. I am a class A introvert. I have imaginary friends. I have a t-shirt at home that says, my imaginary friend doesn't like you either. <laughs> I grew up on a farm, had no friends. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a solitary person. You see me sitting over here all by myself, don't feel sorry for me. I'm having the time of my life. I hate people. No, I'm not I'm just kidding. <laughs> if you would have told me in high school that I was going to be a public speaker, that I was going to preach over 30,000 times in my lifetime, I would say, you're crazy. You are absolutely out of your mind. There's no way. If you would have said, you're going to be an evangelist, you're going to travel all over the world, I would have said, I've never been 40 miles from home. Farthest I ever went before I went to college was 40 miles to my aunt and uncle's house in Waukesha, Wisconsin. I thought it was the end of the world. Got to college, started playing football. First time I went out of the state of Wisconsin was to play at the University of Chicago, just over the border. Now, I've driven over 3 million miles. Flown millions of miles more all over this world to preach. You would have told me that? No way. But God is able to do all. Don't underestimate God in your life. Oh, I could never witness to my neighbors. I could never be a soul winner. I could never read the Bible through. I could never uh, get a prayer answered. I could never see uh, a lost loved one saved. Listen, you're underestimating God. He's above all. He's aware of all. He's able to do all. When are we going to start trusting him? When are we going to start living for him? When are we going to start believing in him? We have our definition. He's above all. He's aware of all. He's able to do all. So let's not only believe the definition of God, let's define it out into our life and begin to live it. Let's bow for prayer. Lord, thank you for re revealing yourself in your word. How precious your Bible is to us because it shows us you. And Lord, when we look at you, then we see ourselves and the great needs that we have. So thank you, Lord, for revealing yourself to us. And Lord, we, we understand who you are today from your word. And yet, Lord, help us to live that definition. I pray, Lord, for someone that's listening this morning that does not know you as Savior. Oh, Lord, you know everything about them. You know everything they've experienced, every place they've been. Every sin they've ever committed, you know about it. And yet, Lord, you sent your son to die for them because you love them. And you want them to be saved today. You're praying, you're making intercession that they would be saved. And God, I pray today they would simply trust you, Savior. If we can help them in some way, Lord, help them to trust us enough to help them. Lord, 
bring those that are without you to yourself today. Draw them unto yourself. And for us as Christians, help us to stop living as if there were no God. Lord, we may not have a bumper sticker that says God is dead, but sometimes that's the way we live. Lord, I pray that you'd be alive and well in our lives because our hearts have been revived to believe all that you truly are and can do for us. Lord, if there's a sin that needs to be placed on the altar, if there's a step of obedience that needs to be taken today, if there's something that needs to be claimed, a promise, Lord, I pray we would, we would take that opportunity today to make that move toward God. For you've said, draw nigh to me and I'll draw nigh to you. Lord, I pray you draw us closer to you today. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed for a moment, I wonder, do you know Christ as your Savior? Do you know this God personally? Is he yours? Do you have a relationship with him? The Bible says we can. We can know him. We can know whom we've believed and be persuaded that he's able to keep that which we've committed until that day when he comes for us again. Do you know him? Maybe you're here today and you'd say, preacher, I don't know if I know him or not. There's a question mark over that. There's a doubt. There's a fear. I don't really know God. I know about him. But I don't know that he's my savior. Could you pray for me? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I'm not going to embarrass you. But if you'd lift a hand and say, preacher, that's me. I, I know about God. I've been in church. I'm here today, but... I don't know him as my savior. I don't know for 100% sure I'm on my way to heaven. I'd like to know that. Could you pray for me? Would you just slip up a hand? I'd like to pray for you. Anyone like that? If you're listening there through the live stream, I'd like to pray for you. I see a hand here in this auditorium. Is there another? Pray for me. Pray for me. Before I pray, I wonder, Christian, are you living like you know him? Are you living like you believe in him? Or are you living as an atheist? Are you living in denial of God? Lord, would you work in our hearts today? I pray for this one who's asked me to. Lord, may you clear up that doubt, clear up any confusion. Lord, help them not to leave this property without knowing they're on their way to heaven. Help us to help them. And then, Lord, for others that may be listening or watching that do not know you, may they today trust you as Savior. May they reach out to the church and let us help them in some way. And I pray for us as believers, don't let us just experience a service. Makes we experience today a living and true and holy God who loves us and wants to be a part of every aspect of our life. We'll thank you for what you do. Heads are bowed. I'd ask you to stand if you can. and Our musician is going to play. The invitation is open. Pastor's here near the front. If you lifted a hand today and you said, I'm not sure that I'm saved, heads are bowed. We're not trying to embarrass anyone. But you need to get that cleared up. You need to have that confusion cleared up in your mind and heart. 
What a joy to pillow your head every night knowing you're on your way to heaven. You can know that. You can be sure of that. The Bible says so. We'd love to just slip aside with you. If you're a lady, a lady could slip aside with you. If you're a man, a man. Just show you some verses from the Bible so you could know whom you've believed and know that you have a home in heaven when you die. If you just slip out and come, meet pastor here, we'll be happy to show you that plan of salvation in the Bible. Take just a few moments. The decision is still yours. But don't, don't go another day without Christ as your Savior. We're here to help. Christian, if God's speaking to your heart, talk to him. He's alive. He's real. And if he attends every funeral of every bird that falls today, he's got an ear that's open to your prayer. He knows every hair on your head. He also knows every need in your heart. And if you'll let him, he can do some miraculous things in your life as he did with Abraham and Sarah. He can do beyond what we can ask or think by the power that worketh in us. Let him. Let go. Let God have his way in your heart and life. If we can help you, the invitation's for you. Brother Kenny's going to sing just one verse of a song. Pastor's going to come. But this invitation's for you. Take advantage of it right now.